Yeah. Uh, stop it. Wasn't rushed. Stop it. But, um, He's nice. I've got to talk American to the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got to, you know what I mean? But it always sounds like a Los Angeles kind of accent, you know. <laughs> stop it. So tell me um, about the podcast. What are you doing? Podcast, so basically, I know, I know, this is kind of, this is... The blue bear. It's hilarious. Which I was trying to look for the other day. I've been in downtown Denver so many times, I was trying to look for the blue bear and eventually found it. It's hard to miss. Well, do you know, it's, yeah, but it's facing that way. It's a bit rude. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, so podcast, yeah, this is Nova Meets podcast. Um, and I just started doing it because I like talking to people. Uh, and I travel a lot. Yeah. Um, but this is, it's new, it's refreshingly new. Yeah. But yeah, but me and you have been, I mean, we've known each other. 2012 now? Yeah. February 2012. Mm-hmm. But however, that's a lie. Because do you remember Christmas before? Jingle All the Way in Florida. You guys were on that show? We were on that show before, yeah. Sorry. And I, I, <laughs> no, 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 and I, I popped in your dressing room because we were submitted for the tour the following year. <laughs> and that's when me and Isaac sang, me and Isaac sang um, You Two in the dressing room. Do you remember? <laughs> Beautiful day. I was absolutely drunk at my face, but then, yeah, it's all the band going, you got to go do it, go do it. We'll get the tour. <laughs> what happened? We, we got the tour. And it's on YouTube. That's amazing. It's on really? Yeah, it's on YouTube. You guys singing in the dressing room? Yeah, and I look nothing like Bono. I don't what? sound like Bono. I'm remembering this Yeah. Now. Let's do it. Not you, me. So what do you need from me? What do I need to know? No, just Anything? chat, man. Just, cool. just, gonna, just have a chat. Do you know what I mean? We're in Denver, Colorado. Nova Meets podcast on tour, we could say. It's yeah. my first one out of the UK. Yeah. And we've got Is Ben. Is really? My pronunciation is going to be a lot better than anyone's ever done that's because right. obviously I'm a fellow Pole. Yeah. Vishoki. Yeah. yeah, that's the, right. Because the Polish pronounce the, the W's as V's. That's right. So who, who's, who's, the, who's the Polish side? Obviously your dad's. Yeah, my dad's dad. Yeah. Dad's dad. So you're Jadja. Uh-huh. You're Jadja. Have you ever called him Jadja? No. You speak Polish? Yeah. No. No. And actually the only Polish I've ever learned was in, was in Ireland. We were staying at a hotel in Dublin, and most of the staff in the restaurant were Polish. And I went to pay my tab, and they saw my credit card, and they all lit up, and half the staff came over, and they were teaching me all these words. Yeah, but this was like four pints in, I don't remember any other things. <laughs> it's good though, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's nice to have that kind of heritage though, isn't it? I mean, I've always said that. It's kind of, everyone's connected somewhere with different, you're not just like, you're not just American, I'm not just, right. obviously from Britain, I mean, I'm yeah. Polish-Italian, I've got Ukraine in me as well, yeah. do you know what I mean? And yeah. I, th- I like it, I love the cultural, uh-huh. culturalness. Yeah. And I think you notice that as well when you, you tour around as well and you travel around. Yeah. And, I mean, it's a beautiful place, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. I haven't, you know, uh, I'm more, Ita- more than anything else, I'm Italian. But um, the name and the skin complexion mm-hmm. is really the most of what stuck the Polish. the Polish yeah have you been to Poland? no no I know I want to I've heard amazing things on my dad's side the Italian heritage is like he's, he's third generation mm-hmm. yeah third generation so I'm fourth generation Italian and his great grandmother um, his grandmother my great grandmother came straight over through Ellis Island right from Italy and so some of her relatives some of the ancestors in Italy they still know where they're at in southern Italy and so I want to get out there and see some of them I don't really know any direct Polish it's not like 
when you get to Krakow, go knock on so-and-so's doors. Like, not, I don't know. But in Italy, there are some of those, so that would be kind of cool. It's amazing. I've I obviously been so close to Italy and Poland. I've kind of found all my cousins and stuff like that. Have you? Oh, my, yeah. Italy, I've been going for the last 20 years. Awesome. Poland, the last two years. And the difference. So we're both incredible. Italian and. Both Italian and Polish. I mean, we're, te- we're taking that already, aren't we? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> we should like start a band, shouldn't we? On mm-hmm. the side. Called the Potalians. <laughs> well, I've thought of it. People always think band names are the hardest thing. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's the hardest thing in the world. Yeah. But I mean, you just. That's five seconds. Yeah. Well, I've thought of it. it. Took a lot longer than five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. been thinking about this. Oh, yeah. 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 Massive thanks to Ben coming down. Uh, I want to say massive thanks to Peckover Transport in Bradford. Do you know what I mean? They're sponsoring the show, but they've got a great kind of emblem. Kind of, we give you results, not excuses. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. And if you're watching on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, uh, my top five countries at the moment who are listening are the United States. England, Bangladesh, Colombia, and El Salvador. Hey, nice. That's not bad, is it? That's pretty good. Not bad for the first kind of two, three weeks. That's pretty good. It's not bad, is it? Is the El Salvador because of the moustache? I knew, I, I, was, I was wondering when you are going to mention that. Because the last yeah. time we met, we, I didn't have the moustache, and you I was a lot more overweight. You definitely did not have the moustache. Yeah, I was a lot more kind of... It looks good on you. It's all, it's all right. I just need to keep up with the shave. The missus always says, "Keep make shades shave, uh-huh. shave for the podcast." Sure, it's fine. It's cool. Um, so <laughs> let, let's jump, let's jump straight in. So we're in Denver. Yeah. Um, you're from Denver, right? Originally. <clears throat> yeah, I was born in the mountains outside of yeah. Denver, and then, um, with the exception of a couple of years, I've grown up here essentially ever since. Drummer extraordinaire for the the uh, multi-talented the Frey. Yeah. Um, and we crossed paths back in 2012, where we had the pleasure of touring with. Yeah. Scars on 45. That was a fun few weeks, wasn't it? Was it was awesome, yeah. Great venues, great team, great band. Yeah, thank you. So professional, do you know what I mean? We were at that point where we were new to the business. Mm. Um, I think that's it. After them three weeks, the first time we did American TV, we finished that time with Leno. Leno. Yeah. We did Leno. So that was such a whirlwind of a but few Leno weeks. was after the tour with us? Leno was after, because right. we finished off in Seattle. And then we so went the Frey tour was a three-week rehearsal for Leno. Yes, it yeah. was three nice. weeks. Yeah, <laughs> and it was still the most nerve-wracking thing. I've yeah. ever done. <laughs> it is, man. Right? For you, like, no, you're in a relatively small room compared to the viewership that you know it's whatever seven million people are going to be watching this, and you're in a room of maybe two hundred. Yeah, it's weird. And it's, it's just it's, obviously you've done Leno. You've done numerous things, haven't you? Uh-huh. It's that sliding door. No, he's, when that goes up, he goes up. Reveal. Scars on 45! Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got to do it like yeah. it's live. Yeah, right. It's like pre-record, but it's like, uh-huh. don't screw up. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, that's the worst thing to say to me. Yeah. Don't screw up. Does he, yeah. And you've got that kind of shake, haven't uh-huh. you? It's weird. A few songs that start, Frey songs. Well, not song. There are very few Frey singles mm-hmm. that start with the drums. Piano. It's like some of the biggest phrase songs start piano. So I rarely do I on a fray, big fray hit that we're playing on the radio. Just two, three, and you know, there's a couple, but for the most part, I'm not starting the songs, which is great. So by the time I come in, I could still screw it up, but by the time I come in, 
like the ball's rolling, right? Isaac has set us in motion. So if we're going the wrong direction, it's because of him. And the one, there was one train wreck on Ellen. No way. Yeah, and we'd done it. We'd done. We'd played on her show before, but this was. You found me, on the second record. Start the piano. Bah, 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 bah. And uh, same, like you're saying, the screen, she, the fray, and then this, and blah, 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 blah. But Isaac's piano was a, a it was a baby grand, but it was this hybrid, right? electronic, you know? So there's no soundboard, there are no strings. And it's a, just a big computer, right? This electronic keyboard, a big computer for some reason wasn't working. We sound checked everything beforehand. Mm -hmm. And then, the, and then after we'd sound checked, we'd go back to the dressing room and then they come like, okay, five minutes to come get us. We get back to our instruments and then don't make any sound until she says the Freddie and he goes to hit it. No sound. It's just, yeah. And we're like, uh, cut, cut, cut live audience, whatever it is, a hundred people, a couple people chuckle. Okay. Reset, reset. She comes, the screen back. She, okay. Again, the fray, same thing, nothing. And like, it was just kind of like, well, and then it got to the point where she was just funny, you know? And I think maybe on the fourth try around or something, we had to unplug and replug and knock it a couple of times. It finally worked. I mean, you play with Train, One Republic, Martin Athenson. But one thing I think, which is basically eight years this week, you two. Mm -hmm. Eight years it's been. Wow. Eight years. Since we played with you two. And you were playing in town last week, eight years. Wow, crazy. Yeah. You did your research. You know, uh, it was an honor to even be asked uh, to play with them. We did four shows um, over the course of about two weeks because they, you know, they'll play a show and then have three days off and then a show. And this was on their 360 tour, mm -hmm. stadium tour. So they, it takes four days to set that stage up. So they had three of them three identical setup stages that were leapfrogging around the, the globe. So when they, they were in North America, when we were with them, they had, we were doing the show in Denver. And as they, we were doing that show, the next, this, the next show in Salt Lake City, that stage was being set up. So there, the crew, there's a second crew already setting that. Anyways, massive, massive organization, huge operation. And we were just a very small part of it, but very honored, direct support. It's not like there's four people opening, it's mm -hmm. just us and then them. Crazy. Um, so it was a huge honor. Uh, it was crazy because we, those couple shows that we were originally asked to, to tour with them in 2010. It was gonna be 2010, I think. But then he had some, he had to have back surgery, Bono did. And so he went in for back surgery and they had to postpone a whole leg of a tour for a year. So that was the leg we were supposed to do. So they postponed it <clears throat> and said, you can still do the show, but you know, you can still do the shows, but not for another year. So by the time it came around to actually do them, we were in the studio making a new record, um, Scars and Stories, mm -hmm. the third album. So. <clears throat> We weren't promoting, we were off cycle, we weren't promoting anything, which was kind of crazy. We, and so we had all these new songs. And so ha we only played for maybe 45 minutes. And we did like three new songs in the set, which was like, 
now looking back on it, it was kind of ballsy, a little bit risky, but we thought like we're playing in front of the stadium of people who aren't here to see us. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, what are they going to do? It's like, it's not like they can kick us off for playing news. It's like, who cares? Sure, we're going to play the hits and songs people want to recognize. But it was awesome. So we're like playing new songs. Anyways, it was amazing, man. It was amazing. We got to watch Soundcheck every day. Uh, there was a couple of days they didn't Soundcheck, but they were rehearsing for um, Glastonbury. They, they headlined yeah. Glastonbury. And they played Octane in its entirety which I'm bummed I missed but that was like in a couple of weeks after these shows we did mm-hmm. them so they were rehearsing that in soundtrack um, and they would also rehearse the coolest thing is they would rehearse little things like the show for the most part was set in stone but mm-hmm. they'd make little changes to it and later in the tour after once we were already going to be off they were playing Seattle somewhere in the Seattle area and there was some connection to an astronaut who was on the space station, who was from Washington. And they knew that that astronaut's family was gonna be at the show or something. Um, And that for that astronaut, they were from the area, Seattle area, something like that. So they arranged, actually for, as an intro to Beautiful Day, they filmed a video with this astronaut from the space station. And the video is the intro to Beautiful Day is, is the astronaut saying, at one point in the show, on the screen comes this astronaut's face, addressing their hometown, the, their friends and family who are at the show, mm-hmm. saying, you know, it's a blah, 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 great view from up here. And then the boom, 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 yeah, yeah. boom, starts fading in under this. And dude, it was like so powerful. But they had the video, they had to rehearse it before in order for it to really and so broad daylight in the middle of the stadium sound shit one in the afternoon they're rehearsing this moment and like chills dude chills just rehearsing it and then they, i'm getting chills you just and then they're like okay <clears throat> cut cut it's not right they'd yeah. have to make a it was like emotional yeah, whiplash you know it, it, but it was incredible point being it was awesome to see them working and engaged and rehearsing edge would show up half hour before soundtrack every day and have his own soundtrack with Dallas, his, his yeah, guitar yeah, tech. Yeah, yeah. So the two of them would do a half hour together, working out kinks, dialing in effects, all this, um, which is incredible. And so he'd work every show day, edges on stage for mm-hmm. a half hour by himself with his guitar tech working out stuff. So it's just cool to see that, you know, whatever at that point three decades into their career still yeah. showing up that's what you have to in order to be at that level you have to you can't disengage um so that was inspiring i think overall they just come across even off camera on camera whatever just so humble do you know what i mean mm-hmm. and obviously you must have met them obviously and yeah yeah we interacted like? a couple times yeah. and i mean they're larger than life especially bono he knows that he's bono you know <laughs> he doesn't take that off so in a room with him, at dinner with him, in a bar with him, he's Bono. So th- like that, what you know of him on stage is what he is off stage. Right. And like there's a, this is actually re- recounted in Rolling Stone magazine that this dinner we had with them in Dublin once uh, wasn't all of them, him and Ali, some of the rest of the entourage or whatever. We didn't know the writer from Rolling Stone was there kind of, Everything was happening, but um, but Bob, I mean, it, he would just get up. He'll get up and make speeches, 
ding, 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 in the middle of a dinner, in a restaurant, in the middle of a restaurant, you know, it's just like in the same way that he's introducing, you know, whatever, a U2 song in front of a stadium, he'll, he'll same delivery to a table of 12 people in a restaurant. It's crazy. Um, That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, so he's consistent. He's consistent. Edge is, is pretty down to earth. Yeah. Um, he's the yin to that yang for sure. And Adam wasn't around much um, in those social environments. Um, and when Larry was, Larry was very like, Larry's kind of chill. He was kind of, he's chill, but he's, he's pretty like, I think in their dynamic, Larry is like, he's the timekeeper musically. And then also as a personality, that's kind of, he's keeps everyone, mm -hmm. he's checking the budget. In a meeting about a tour, he's the one saying like, how, but how much is this going to cost, right? Bono's like, we could do this and that, and then and Larry, and I, but yeah, um, and how much is it going to cost? Like, you know, so he's that guy. He's the, yeah. yeah, we had a we had his room a lot that as well. Yeah. 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 Are you yeah. like that? No, not at all. No, no, maybe I should be. Yeah. Yeah. Music always been in your life. Has it been a thing like has it been? Is it people say, oh, was your mum a singer? <laughs> was your dad a piano? Your dad must have been a piano player. No. Yeah, um, my parents weren't. Music has always been in my life, yes. My parents weren't particularly musical. Um, they toured, they met in this singing, dancing group called Up With People. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with Up With no, People? No, no, no. I don't think it's still around, but Up With People in the 70s was the heyday. It was this very like 70s peace, love, understanding, kind of save the world thing. They had this song called What Color Is God's Skin, right? So this whole thing. Not a Christian organization, but very much like that. And they had multiple casts that would travel around the world doing shows. They did the Super Bowl halftime. They performed at the Olympics. Like in that time, it was a huge thing. My parents met in that, and but my dad was like in the crew. He, I think he was in that. He was on stage maybe one year, and then he's like, "Screw this!" So then he worked in the crew, like kind of behind the scenes, audio, mm -hmm. visual, and and my dad's always done that in video or the audio world. So um, I was around that forever. But musically, it, it skipped a generation really. My, both of my grandfathers were drummers. And so I grew up with inheriting instruments from them, around both of them as, as percussionists and drummers from opposite ends of the spectrum. My mom's dad grew up in Chicago and played in like Glenn Miller era, big band. Really? The round glasses, slicked hair, pretty proper, like that kind of percussionist, played vibes, drums, like Slingerlands, mother, white mar mother of pearls, super nice. And then my dad's dad, the Polak, in Baltimore, ex-Navy uh, police officer, total rough and tough, played every instrument, didn't read a lick of music, and he's drumming with like a bottle, a jar, not a jar, he says jar, a pitcher yeah. of beer on his floor dom at the American Legion, just like. Whoa. So that I had like, and I was kind of somewhere in the middle of that. Um, so I couldn't help but play drums really. And I played, I started playing drums when I was really young, like in diapers, and then had an identity crisis somewhere in, in adolescence and thought, I can't, this isn't cool. I have to play sports. And so I tried to be athletic and it didn't work. And that was even more embarrassing. And so then I settled in my identity 
uh, in music and just kind of stay there. So from diapers to sport, yeah. being cool, really cool. That's what it was, wasn't it? I think I did the same thing though. I was like piano, piano lessons. And I hated yeah. it. I hated it. It's like, yeah. this ain't cool. I'm getting like... Because in school, in middle school or high school here in the States, it's like, it's cool to play in a band if the band is like a rock band in your garage, you're winning battle mm-hmm. of the bands, whatever. Otherwise, you're a band nerd at school, right? It's mm-hmm. like, it's a, it's a weird thing, identity-wise. And um, I struggled with that. I thought it wasn't good enough to just be... A creative musician, you know, which was total bullshit. So we're here with Ben from the Frey Peckover Transport. Thank you so much for sponsoring this episode. Um, if you ever need movable, well, anyone's house need moving in Colorado, just come across. I know you're based in England, but it's fine. Ben might be moving soon. Who might knows? Be, <laughs> who knows? It was kind of a. You wasn't from the beginning, were you? With the band, the kind of the starting it. No, from. yeah, the the Frey was formed without me. Right. Um, I came in just a little less than a year later. Right. Yeah. Yeah, my best friend, Zach, was the drummer, was the original drummer. But I had gone to school with Isaac and Joe. We'd all grew up together at school. Um, I'd known them, played in a previous band with Isaac. Our guitar player, Dave, was also in that previous band with Isaac. And so we all knew each other already anyways. After... We all graduated high school. We kind of went our separate ways. I did some traveling, and then they formed the band with Zach playing drums, a couple other members, um, and within that first year, everything shook down. People kind of settled in. Some people left. Zach left, moved to New York to go to acting school, and so when he moved to New York, he was like, "Hey, man!" Like he, at that point, I was coming to the early shows that they would have. It was less than a year, maybe six months or something like that. So I'd go when they were playing because it was like my friend's band, right? So I'd go see him play. Um, and it made logical sense for me to take that seat, take that role. So that was 2000, late 2003, it would have been 2003. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I started playing with them. Um, and then we, it was about two years playing around town here in Denver. We recorded an EP. They had already recorded an EP without me. And then when I joined, we were rehearsing some new songs, so we did a second EP together, self-released. Um, and Joe recorded just like too many guitar parts on that EP to play live. So they're like, "What do we?" Once we started playing out shows, opening for friends, bands, small shows at the time, but we, he couldn't do all of the guitar parts that he had multi-overtracked on mm-hmm. this because we're in a studio and excited. He's like, "Let me do this other thing, right?" And then you get, we get on stage and he's just him on guitar. He's like, "God, oh, crap." So um, I was like, brought in my friend Dave, who Dave and I had grown up musically together, like since like the fourth grade. And then we both started playing, he started playing guitar, I think like in the sixth grade. And then we just grew up together musically from there. So he, the fray at that point was the only other band, band I'd ever been in without him. So it was like, once we needed another guitar player to play all of Joe's parts, I was like, my friend Dave could do it. So he came in at first just playing all of these things and then once we started writing out and working out some new stuff new material um he kind of came into the fold right then. yeah when would you say the turning point it was with the fray when did you think shit this is 
this is it. This is like, this is happening. Man, I, you know, I, there wasn't really one aha moment because, because it was reality in our life. We had the worst perspective on it. You couldn't really see the forest through the trees, you know, because it's what we were doing. So every once in a while, you would get a, a moment that would slap you back and kind of like an out-of-body experience where you step out and look at what's happening like, wow. Um, but there were a few of those throughout the career and the process and the rise to fame, to success, fame. Um, and I remember the first one, notably so, relatively small in, you know, now in hindsight. But the, one of the first things I remember being like, a big deal for us was when strangers started showing up at our shows because when you're a local band a new up-and-coming band you're just getting all of everyone you know anyone's phone numbers you know or is in your contact that you're calling your friends and your family people you go to school with people you go to church with to all come to the show so your aunt's there and your cousin your little brother's there right um we all had very supportive parents, so they, there's, you know, eight parents always in the back row. Like, we knew there were at least gonna be eight people at the show. But then the first shift for us, that we were like, wow, what is happening? Because I remember one show here in town, in Denver, small show, at this little bar. It used to be called Brendan's Pub, now it's called Marquee. But the stage is in the corner, super low ceiling, right? It's like a bar. So it was only maybe 100 people fit in there, maybe 200, but point being, that was the first time I remember we got off stage and went back and we're like, hey, who's that, uh, who was that guy in the front row with the blue shirt? And you're like, oh, I don't know. I was like, oh, I thought that was your cousin. And that's not your, no, no, no. Do you know who, I don't know who that was. We're like, wait a second. Was that just a fan? Like, is that just a guy who just liked our band and came to the show? And we're like, it was like a novel concept to us that somebody we didn't know would come to our show. Because at that point, we're just used to like, hey, mom. And then, you know. Um, and that was a big moment. We were like, oh, shit. And then like the next show, there were like five strangers. We're like, who are these people? You know? <laughs> they start talking to each other. I mean, fast forward to then you get, we walk on stage and you don't know anybody that's out there. You know? And it would be, a, it would be a, like refreshing if in a group of 5,000 people you see like, oh, hey, there's my friend, you know, that became the norm. But at, at that time, strangers showing up, that then meant that the band was existing in other people's conversations yeah. in their lives. It was a part of their lives as well, which was some, that's when it was like, oh, wow, this is this little thing that we built is now something for somebody else, even if it was that one guy. He made his own plans to come, right? That part of his day, he planned around it, had nothing to do with us. He wasn't like, hey, Ben, I'm just, you know, I'll come to your show. It was like completely independent, you know. It's crazy. It's a crazy thing. Before social media as well. Before social media. So it's the kind of like the old school approach. Yeah. He saw a flyer. Well, that's what I mean. It's like, so that must be incredibly strange to think how that was back then. Mm-hmm. We say like back then, like it's back in the 60s, but it's how fast has it evolved? 16 years ago. Yeah. But yeah, lots happened in 16 years. Yeah, but it was either word of mouth mm -hmm. or he saw it in the newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Or heard it on the radio. 
uh, or saw a poster plastered to the, you know, thing. But yeah, that was a big moment for us. And obviously throughout the career, there were other in incredible moments, but I remember that being huge because then just that concept of the fact that our band existed in someone else's heart and someone else's mind, someone else's world is crazy. Cause then we, we almost didn't have as much control over it anymore. It became their thing. Mm -hmm. They took ownership of it. And that is an incredible thing. I mean, you know, you've been in a band yeah. with enough success and fans who, have re who are responding to what you're doing in their own way. It's a part of their life. And that's, an, that's like scary and such an honor at the same time, you know. It's an unbelievable connection in hit music. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you've done incredibly massive shows compared to us. But even that initial connection you have with that person who's singing the song back to you. I mean, I'm on the keys. I'm not even the lead singer. Right. But still that connection. Or and the size of the show is, oh, is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. It's the connection of the music and what it does to that person in their life. Mm -hmm. It's powerful. Mm -hmm. And I still, I still get chills now thinking about it. Yeah. And it's an unbelievable thing to connect with people you don't know. Mm -hmm. And I always, it's like that kind of imaginary line we are on the stage mm -hmm. in the audience you've got like a it's like a tennis net mm -hmm. isn't it <laughs> and you can like the music goes over that line yeah. and hits that person do you know what and I mean and you can react volley yeah. back and you can react you can make that person react by something you are doing on stage mm -hmm. it's incredible isn't it yeah it's amazing um, and it's when I think we're so fortunate to have that mm -hmm. and, it, and it's, it's an amazing amazing kind of skill set and experience mm -hmm. and I'll never ever ever let it leave your life you know you won't will you no um but then but then kind of you said that was like the early days turning point but the day of your album how to save a life I'm sorry it's one of the I'm, I'm biased I'm a piano player piano driven yeah it was a time when Coldplay's X and Y was out wasn't it around that time Keen as well mm -hmm. right yeah but a hell of a debut album yeah thank you do you know what I mean I think it was yeah, this is who we are. Man, it was crazy because we were beautifully naive. We had no idea, and I think that was part of the success. Mm. Because we didn't know what we shouldn't do, right? We just we just did it. Like you said, it was like, this is us. These are our songs, and this is how we're playing them. Mm, you know? No one was saying, like, mm, maybe you shouldn't do it that way. Like, and that innocence... Now when I listen back to that record, it sounds so young and like my perspective on it's like, ah, we miss like sonically, I wish this or that, and blah, whatever. But the spirit of it, you can tell it's like, it was honest and, and innocent, but we were confident in that innocence and um, I'm proud of that. Uh, and that's something that you can only ever do once, right? Because then the worst thing and best but the worst thing that happened is that a lot of people paid attention right because it's kind of like easier if you put something out and then only a couple people hear it and then you give mm -hmm. the, get the chance like oh phew, okay this is what we should do different next time then you do it and more people hear it and you can slowly slowly come out of your cage and your closet and be revealed that wasn't the case for us and it certainly wasn't the plan although it's what we hoped for but for our first album debut introduction to the world to be to this day, it's still the most successful thing was a total, like, it messed with our heads. Because we didn't, you know, we didn't have the chance to, like, learn how to look cool or 
you know, it's like we learned as we went and everyone watched us learn, you know. I think that first album went four or five, four times platinum. So we had four million people then watching us grow instead of growing in the shadows. And then, you know, Death Cab for Cuties, whatever, seventh record is the one. With, and they had all this time to figure it out. You know, we were figuring it out in front of everyone, which is crazy. Like the first headline tour we did where we were selling out 20,000 seats or whatever was only three, four years later from the time I was talking about when that stranger shows up, mm -hmm. you know, in a room of 30 people. Three years later, we're selling out 20,000. So you, we only had three years. Like, I didn't know what, like, I'm just wearing a t-shirt on stage in front of 20,000. I don't know, you know, <laughs> but that's what I mean. It's like now when I see that in other bands it's so refreshing you know and it's something you can never get back but do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing to kind of get right throw in the deep end go for that journey because you guys are well you're still going now mm -hmm. you've been ridiculously su successful you're still growing still going mm -hmm. i mean you're learning every single day mm -hmm. but what about the bands who like you said death camp Mm -hmm. Elbow is a prime example. Mm -hmm. England, mm -hmm. I think it took them five, six albums. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even though if you, which is more common, right? It's more there is no such thing as an overnight success. You know, even by the time anyone knew who we were, or was seeing us on TV or the radio for the first time, we'd been working at it at that point for up to five years going or whatever. And then previous bands before that, it's like nothing's overnight. But it's a lot more comfortable if you have time, if you can like hone your chops in front of 20 people a night, as frustrating as that is, you, you figure it out, you grind, blah, 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 and then, whoa, you know, that wasn't the case. Um, but it was an amazing thing. How, how important was the music placement with your initial growth, especially on that first album? I mean, it's huge in it, music placement. Mm -hmm. it's, it's massive. Mm -hmm. We're gonna touch on it, obviously, what you're working with now as well, but yeah. especially for a band like ourselves, the music sync stuff yeah it's huge mm -hmm. especially in this country as well yeah we um you know our songs being placed for film and television uh was huge for us i think at one point we were the most one year we were the most licensed band that year in all of film and television <laughs> which is crazy it's like uh, um the role of music in television whether it's in advertising and what apple pioneered with like you know introducing new music to people via a commercial that would never have been thought that was such a new concept up until that point it was jingles you had some guy in a room that you didn't see not seen the light of day like a vampire in a corner <laughs> writing these jingles that became in, in you know in branded in everyone's yeah. brains but you have no idea who that person was and then they start using songs from artists that you know Right and, and or didn't, but that was the point. It was incredible and a very new thing. And we kind of came out right around that time that shift was happening. And um, it was very beneficial for us because then we had this whole other audience. We had a lot of radio success at the time. And then you get a song placed on a show and a good placement where it's not just in the background on top of the dialogue, but like a predominant mm -hmm. placement. And maybe even the Chiron in the corner that says the name of the band, it's like, poof. Then if it's on a big show, or even, you know, just on any show, it taps you into a whole nother market, a whole nother group of people. 
Um, and the network here, ABC, we got in with one of the music supervisors at ABC and she took, she was a fan of us and licensed and song after song after phrase song for a bunch of their shows on ABC. Um, and she placed How to Save a Life in Grey's Anatomy. Um, and they had used some songs before that, I think. But she placed it in the show. And they used almost half the song, which is a lot on broadcast television, any more than, you know, 30 seconds. They mm -hmm. used like a minute and a half in this whole emotional sequence at the end of an episode. It was like a thing. Um, and at that point, we had already, the album had already gone platinum. We had, like, people knew who we were, but that just, like, put on the afterburners, you know, because they'd opened us up. Huge show at the time, you know. It mm -hmm. would be now the equivalent to having a minute and a half of your song on, on Game of Thrones. Yeah. Right? At a pivotal moment. It would be the equivalent to that. Um, so many people at the time watched that show, millions and millions of people. So it was like a... It was just the afterburners for us. And then that started a cool relationship with ABC and, and a bunch of other uh, yeah. networks and film and television, which is super awesome and an honor because then our songs reinterpreted. We're talking about like the band taking on a life with fans. It's also like if the song was about one thing, they, that music supervisor, somebody in the office at the network hears a song and relates to it to a part of a story of the show. Mm -hmm. That might not be what the song's about at all, but they, they pair it, and then there's a beautiful marriage there where that song helps tell a story that it wouldn't have done on its own, which is cool. So it's fun to watch that happen. You know. Alex Patsavis? <laughs> is that the, yeah? Yeah. Well, Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, yeah totally. We, we were signed to the Chop Shop. Yeah, yeah. It's Atlantic, so I thank you, Alex. Yeah, right. that's right, Alex. Amazing person. She's unbelievable. Yep. The like, writing process, like with the fray, what was it like? Is it kind of like Isaac comes in, Got an idea, chaps? Yeah, it evolved um, over... We've made four albums together. Mm -hmm. and, and over the course of those, each one was a little bit different. It evolved. Our relationships to each other evolved and grew. We grew as people. So the creative process was, was a, a sum of those parts. And it changed. Um, every record is different in that way. Every song was a little bit different. We didn't have a... Uh, like this is the way it works I don't think anyone really does ever but um, it started primarily um, with Joe and Isaac as the principal writers we each found our strengths and weaknesses my strength is not writing a, a lyric that's not what I do best uh, I could figure it out if I had to but I um, was in a band with some great lyricists um, and then even like melody doesn't come naturally to me like it would Joe. Um, so, and then maybe even like a musical chord progression is like David, I haven't called him David in a few decades. I don't know why I did that. Dave's sweet spot. Um, where you'd be like, yeah, maybe on this third turnaround here, you know, we should go to the E. And then it changes everything. That would be like Dave, that's, that would be Dave's role. And I found, I learned that my role had a lot to do with the arranging, kind of like the in-house producer and arranger, mm -hmm. where like, yeah, that verse is 
great, but it might be better with this other idea over here. This demo would be a better chorus mm -hmm. for that. Some Frankensteining, you know, like this chorus in this song is not strong enough to stand on its own, but that would be a killer bridge right here. So we'd snip it out right. and graveyard the rest of it and put it in and whoa, you know, I love doing that kind of stuff. Or even some like, you know, maybe this, maybe we should slow this down like 15 BPM and go standard time instead of it being faster and in half mm -hmm. time, all that kind of stuff. I love that. That's my sweet spot. So Isaac could bring a demo half done. Um, and each one of us would sort of attack it from with our prospective tools and what we did best and shape it. Sometimes a song would come totally formed, done. Right. Um, Isaac, there's a song on our third record called Be Still. Slow piano, almost hymn-like ballad. And that was just, he came to us with that song, nearly done. And we tried a couple of different things with it, full band-wise, it just didn't make sense. So it was just like, this just needs to be what it is. It already made sense. There were other songs that came from like a jam and a sound check. We were bored, like we have one song on that same record called Munich. Um, and it's just called Munich because in our like voice memos, you know, record digital recorders in soundcheck at Munich, in Munich show, we were waiting on the crew to sort something out, some technical issue, we were just jamming on the thing, this guitar part. And Isaac rarely came up with guitar parts, but he was like, we were bored and he was like playing Dave's guitar. And he came up with this and we were jamming on that and just recorded it and labeled it Munich. And then the next year when we were in the studio, we we're like, we should play with that Munich idea. And we hashed it out more and then the, that title <clears> just stuck. So there were everything from like a jam from mm -hmm. a sound check like that to a fully formed song that Isaac or Joe Mm -hmm. would present and then we would just play on everything in between um and so it was, it was great there was a lot of is a lot of mutual respect among the four of us in room we had to grow into that there wasn't at first you know trust had to be established and uh, we had to kind of learn each other and learn ourselves and learn our roles and then we settled into a pretty great cohesive like mutually um sort of a lot of mutual respect for each other and what we do like that's not that's not my strength i think this is you should take the torch here and like pretty great so um collaborative the, the fourth record we made is probably the most collaborative it was called helios and uh even to the point where like isaac pulled in some outside writers just because for the fun of it he'd never co-written with anyone outside of mm -hmm. the three of us and just thought that that might spark some some different creative energy. Um, so he wrote with with uh, Matt Hales from Aqualung. You know, mm -hmm. remember the band Aqualung? Yeah. Matt. Strange and beautiful. Uh huh. We toured with them, and Matt became really good friends. So uh, he, Matt moved to LA. He left London, moved to LA, and he and Isaac would meet up and write. So there's a couple songs in Helios that he wrote with Matt. Um, another Matt, Matt Thiessen, who's the singer of Reliant K, um, is a co-writer in Nashville. So he and Isaac met up and wrote a couple songs together. What's, um, obviously we met on tour, we were on the road. The longest we did was six months in America, nonstop. Whew. You guys have been around the world. Yeah. Excessively. Um, how, how do you find tour life? Are you kind of, is it one of them things like, oh, we, you've got to do it as a musician, don't you? It's one of them things where you do the studio, you go on tour, you promote the record. How yeah. do you find it? We haven't toured um, 
we haven't toured for maybe three years now, mm -hmm. um, which has been nice, honestly, first and foremost. Um, it's been good because it does take a toll. But I think more than anyone else in the band, maybe I, I enjoyed it and really like, yeah, I really took to it more than anyone else, I think. I just really liked, first of all, the camaraderie of not just what the four of us principal members of the band had, but then our sort of immediate family on tour of crew, some other musicians we'd hire to play with us, crew became like, but it's like our squad, right? <laughs> and it, it's almost this like, when you're in a different place every day and you're different this and that, the constant is the people. The, the, what's constant and what's familiar, what you can lean on are those people that are around you and there's like, you, you bond in that experience, shared experience. So I loved that aspect of it. I love the travel getting to see places although you never really have much time. Like I was talking with somebody like touring and traveling are two different, di two very different things. Like, yes, I've been to Luxembourg, but I haven't really been to Luxembourg, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, but I still loved that. I loved like waking up in a place, you know, that I normally would have no business in and not being a tourist. Like I had a reason to be there. I loved that feeling walking around in Cologne, Germany and like, because I'm there for a re I'm there to like play a show mm -hmm. that night. Not just I would pretend that I was a tourist and could be a tourist for an afternoon, but then I had to go to work, you know. And that I loved that feeling. Um, felt like I was like participating in the local economy. Absolutely, yeah. You know, which I love that. And that's what you get that every everywhere you go, you know. In Sydney, we show up in Sydney and we're there to perform, you know, which is kind of great. So anyways, I love that. I love touring. Um, it was hard. We toured a lot. We had to tour a lot. The first time you go, you know, to Australia, um, you plant seeds, you make fans, you nurture relationships with those fans. If you don't come back, that doesn't grow. So you go to Australia, right? Like, great. This is great. You know, hopefully it's great. And then seven months later, Time to go back, you know? So you do that on enough continents. If you're lucky enough, mm -hmm. those seeds you've planted have grown, then you have all of these, to follow the analogy, plant things you have to water. You gotta get back there and take care of it. And that means you could constantly just be on tour. Mm -hmm. So we had to make some choices after a while. Like we never did South America. Um, we did a little bit of Asia, but not a lot just because it's a lot and you have to we could have just devoted our lives to that mm. um, but I think we would have ruined some relationships relationships either maybe with ourselves uh, a little piece of ourselves or with families or friends and that suffered anyways mm -hmm. people haven't been to Denver yeah I mean you've been here pretty much all your life haven't you uh -huh. apart from being obviously on the road how you describe what Denver's like? I mean, it's, it's evolved so much, even I've noticed in 10 years since being in America. Yeah. But what's it like for yourself? Yeah, um, it has changed a lot. You know, I have the bias, maybe of, because it's my hometown. I've grown up here. Uh, I love it. And I, I grew to love it. Like, I've, I didn't always, because only because it's like, my home, it's where I've always been, what I've always known. 
I think it's always important for you to leave the place that you're from in order to gain perspective on it and appreciation of it. Now, you know, um, at a different place in life, even with the band not taking up as much the forefront of my time, energy, family, my daughter, my mother, like there are so many things that take precedent and priority here and being in proximity to relationships with people who really matter mm-hmm. and and know me and vice versa is like the most important thing. So Denver, I love Denver and uh, mostly because of the people. Uh, the weather's great, it's incredible. I wish there was an ocean here, but that's yeah. okay. It gives me a chance to, to travel. And that's only because I grew up with mountains. I think if I grew up by the ocean, I'd be like, these yeah. mountains are amazing, right? But um, no, but I love it. I mean, it's like a beautiful spring day like this is incredible. I mean, it doesn't get much better. So after describing it, 300 days of sunshine a year. Yeah. <clears throat> Surrounded by the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. You're mile high in the sky, yeah. literally. Yeah. Um, but like I say, it's just unbelievable climate and stuff. But the people, I've noticed that throughout the, throughout yeah. the years. And great stuff. people, yeah. Great people. And Denver, as a city, has a great art scene. Um, the sport, every professional sports team has won their prospective championship mm-hmm. at one point in there. So like, that's not really my thing, but it's like vibrant sports town, great music scene community mm-hmm. and arts community in Denver. In the, pro- the proximity here, proximity to the mountains, outside activity, what you have at your disposal is incredible and world renowned. And I forget that sometimes you have people flying in to ski, you know, at Vail, yeah, and I've just—I mean, I've—you know—it's what I've always known. So it's great. It's great. So it's hard to not take it for granted, but I love it here. How do you think the legalization of marijuana has affected Denver, from a local perspective? Yeah, not—you know—from a local perspective, that it hasn't had as big of a an impact as you might think. Mm-hmm. You don't see it on a day-to-day basis. Out, like, I think, like economically, it's been a great thing fantastic thing as far as like the tax dollars where what's come in from that um but it hasn't really made the impact that i i think people from the outside Mm -hmm. think it has as far as just daily life and culture i mean sure there's there's like every once in a while you walk past you catch a whiff or whatever it's a little different but it's like i don't know it's it's not like um i'm all for it i voted for it i think it's a great thing i it hasn't really changed the way I mm-hmm. live my life. Um, and uh, I think people were maybe afraid of that, afraid of what it would do in the community, but it really hasn't. It's been nothing but a positive thing. It hasn't really caused any trouble. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure yet. Uh, that's just kind of been my my view of it, perspective of it. It's not like... I didn't really know what to expect. It made sense to me yeah. in going that direction, but now, yeah, you don't really see it. Mm-hmm. So, mm. so where from the music and stuff like what you actually like? What's your what's your nine to five now? What what are you doing? Are you kind of you're not just sitting back and enjoying the sunshine? Are you? What, what are you up to? No, I do do that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty good at. it. Yeah. I'm getting better at learning how to relax. Yeah, but um, now with the fray essentially on hiatus. Uh, I have a lot of time on my hands and at first that was hard 
didn't really know what to do with that. But then after a while, I got used to coming home from tour, feeling a little lost, having an identity crisis, and by the time I got over, it's time to leave again. Got used to the back and forth, and then settling in long enough here to really be, to have time to get to know myself was important. As far as now, it's also enabled me the opportunity and the time to lean into other creative ventures that I've always wanted to. When you're in a band, by the nature of being in a band, if it's a truly creative, collaborative democracy where everyone's putting in a little bit of themselves, that also means everyone else is putting in a piece of themselves too. So the, the fray wasn't 100% me. Um, it was a sum of the parts and it was healthy in that way. But that meant that there were parts of each of us that weren't represented in that group, either in the art or the business, you know, because we were all kind of steering it. It was, it was a part of a little piece of each of us. So um, there were little things in me, little itches I didn't get to scratch with the fray that now it's kind of fun to lean into some of that. Doing some producing here in Denver. Yeah. Um, I run a music licensing company now. We referred to it earlier. It's called Color Wheel Music. The Color Wheel grew as a business out of just seeing the opportunity providing some income, new revenue streams and sources for like our friends who are musicians um, in various sort of like corners of the music industry. Either they're in big well-known bands that you would know touring and when they're off tour, we would get some, you know, opportunity to get them in the studio, do some work for this little, for a jingle yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Um, or they're an up and coming artist that their ambition is to uh, write and record their own songs, albums, release them to the world. But in the meantime, they need to make money. So why not make money, you know, doing some original compositions for, for placement, sync, licensing. Um, so we had so many friends in that way that were looking for opportunities. And so we saw a, a real opportunity to connect some dots there. And so we built, it's been a few years now, we've built a pretty great roster of artists and composers that we trust, um, that we can go to. And then we built relationships with mostly ad agencies. We do custom music for advertising. Done a couple, scored a couple documentaries as well. Um, so just slowly building reputation there, but it's a cool way to sort of provide opportunity for mm -hmm. creatives to be creative in a different way. If you have somebody at an ad agency saying, we need this to sound like the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, yeah. We need a 30 second instrumental piece that sounds like the Pet Shop Boys. Then it's like, okay, cool. And you would think that that sounds constricting, but it's actually, you can be more creative because you know you have this little corral the fence and the boundary clearly defined and you mm -hmm. can do whatever you want within that, you know, um, as opposed to somebody just saying like, I don't know, make it however you want. And you're like, what do I, you don't even know where to start. It can actually be really great if somebody says like, you go and do this. It needs to sound like the Pet Shop Boys or else it, or else we're not buying mm -hmm. it. Literally not going to pay you for it. And then that's actually can be really exciting to some people. And the Frey, you got any new stuff coming out? Are you planning for another album or? No plans right now. We, uh, we're each in very different places in life, which is okay. There's nothing inherently negative about it. Um, we just got to the point where we needed to like, like I said, scratch some of those other mm -hmm. itches, move into different things. Um, 
spend time with family and so there's no plans to for new music right now mm -hmm. no we we have a couple shows in, in the books that are just like one-offs when when offers come in mm -hmm. um if it makes sense some of them are just purely money gigs mm -hmm. you know and some of it's like an opportunity will come along we're like ah, that's cool can't pass that up we'll jump on it but they're pretty few and far between right now um which is actually kind of nice it's kind of nice to have some space away from that july 13th that's right castle rock you're literally playing down the road we just that's right so yeah, if i don't come and see it's a bit weird wouldn't it It'd be a bit strange yes do you know what i mean and hopefully there if you will have be... a slight session tambourine i can can do that okay yeah i'm expecting every seat to be filled and if you didn't come except yours and i'll yeah. know I'll wear that blue t-shirt like the stranger did. Yeah, that's right. The there show. he is. Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Right, we're going to finish off with, um, it's called an icebreaker. You're supposed to oh. do it at the start, but we're going to do it at the end. Okay, great. Um, I do it with everyone I, I interview. Is that because if it doesn't go well, we're already done with the interview, it doesn't matter? No, you, 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 you'll, you'll know why. Okay. You might hate me after, but it's like quick fire 10, yeah. but also elaborate on the answer if you want to do. Okay, great. Don't just give me the... Boring one with answers. I've been there, done that. I've had that before. It's like, well, oh, come yeah. on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Dog or cat? Oh, uh, dog. I'm not allergic to cats, but I don't like to be rubbed upon. <laughs> you don't like to be rubbed upon? I feel like um, that's all cats do. Have you ever sent a text message to the wrong person? Yeah. Luckily, not embarrassing. Was it like, I love not you so? Like, was it kind of... No, it was maybe just like, sorry, running late. What, yeah, no. Oh, right. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. Three things you need on your rider. Good question. Gum. Yeah. You know, of the mint spearmint. Do you go big red cinnamon? No. Because it has to be mint or spearmint because um, you don't brush your teeth every day as much as you'd like to say that maybe you do on tour. You don't. Or, you know, before you go to, to the meet and greet or whatever. Yeah. You need that gum. Um, I started putting socks on the rider later in the tour because it's like sometimes I've got my dress to impress socks sometimes. Pretty jazzy. Thank you. And then, but other times you just need new, nice, tight socks that aren't stretched out. If you can't do laundry, it's okay. This pack was only $9 at Target. Who cares? At the end of the tour, toss them out, take them to the Goodwill. Who cares? Socks, gum, um, and then some form of hydration. Because you can sure that there's going to be the caffeine and the alcohol. Mm -hmm. That's a given. So you need the bedrock of, of some sort of hydration that's not sugar. Gatorade, nope. Pedialyte? Huh? Pedialyte. Well, Pedialyte, but more so of the maybe coconut water, smart water varieties, something like that. Oh, that's all right. Okay. So you got socks, gum, and hydration. That's rock and roll. That's rock and roll. Would you go streaking across a football field during a game for a million dollars, knowing there's a 50-50 chance you'll get arrested for indecent exposure? Million dollars. Million dollars. Is the stadium full of people? You, we're talking Super Bowl, we're talking final, we're talking... Okay. You're doing it. Because if there's no one there, I'd of course, do I'd, I'd do it with you. All right. I no, nope. I don't think so. No, no. I don't no. think so. I'm not that kind of risk taker. Absolutely. Would you Would you rather have nosy neighbors or the noisy neighbors? I, I'd rather them be making noise 
than peeping over the fence any day. Yes. That's fine. Because I can make more noise than them. Absolutely. Have you got a drum kit at home, obviously? Many. In the basement? Nope. <laughs> is it right in front of the, the TV? Roof. Yeah. On the <laughs> Would you rather live where it is consistently winter or where it is consistently summer? That's a good question for a Coloradian like yourself. That's okay. One reason I love living in Colorado is we have four distinct seasons. I yeah. lived in California for a couple of years and missed winter. Um, not because I like being cold, although sometimes I do, but more so because when spring comes. Mm -hmm. It feels, it's so important, I think, to your body, to your spirit, your mind, to be able to experience a change in the season. It marks time. I love it. So either of those would be really hard for me. But if I had to pick, I think I'd rather shiver than sweat. Is it true that you wait 10 minutes? Well, I've, I've noticed it this week. You wait 10 minutes and it just changes. Mm -hmm. Especially in the spring. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's, you, I mean you've been here. It snowed yeah. last week. It was snowing last week and it's 70 degrees sunny outside right now. It's Unbelievable. Crazy. If you want a trip to go anywhere on earth, where would you take me? <laughs> mm. Those are two, where would I take you? Yeah. Well, um, Poland. Because I've never been. You speak Polish. I can get through. We've got our surnames alone maybe would get us in the door. Absolutely. To Poland. Um, and then you could maybe host, you could take me around and speak for me, order all some of pierogi, my potato based foods some vodka, for me. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Favorite band? <laughs> That's not fair. It's a music. 45. Favorite food? The cheeseburger. Just the cheeseburger. The standard cheeseburger. The are cheeseburger. you going in and out? Or are you going. No. Freddy's, what are you doing? What are you, are you, uh, right now, it's either Shake Shack or Five Guys, as far as the large really? chains go. Really? Yeah, Shake Shack's a phenomenal burger. Better than In-N-Out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In-N-Out is 2008, bro. Can you cook? Yeah. Speciality? Pasta. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty good at pasta. I love it, which is maybe why I'm good at it. Right. But, like, red wine and pasta oh, just doesn't get much better. You're cooking the pasta for three people, dead or alive. For the final question, Ben, who are you going to invite around this table? Three people, dead, dead or, or alive. Dead or you're alive. Cooking your best pasta. I've got Great scars on forty-five you, on the jukebox. You got scars. You got heart on fire. Just just got in, back from Poland. Yeah, we just dropped out of the piano ballad. Last song of the album. Three. Yeah, three people. Three got, people dead you just, or alive. You just open the red wine. It's breathing. Uh huh. The doorbell rings. Yeah. Who's the first guest? I'm just going to, there's so many, I'm just going to shoot from the hip. I'm not going to overthink it. Don't uh, overthink it. Patty yeah. Smith. Oh yeah, okay. Seems, I don't know much about her. I haven't read the book, a book about her, I don't, yeah. but she seems fascinating to me. Patty Smith. She's sitting there, she's part of her glass. Yeah. You know, I think somebody who's experienced high levels of, of power and influence and significance in, would be very interesting. I think to interact with. I've mm -hmm. had some experience of that, some presidents, a pope that I've met, and I'd like to have more time with them over a meal. So um, this might be a controversial answer, but I think I would invite Donald Trump. All right. I don't understand him. I don't feel the need to understand him, but I think it'd be interesting to have him there. In oh, my house. Do you know what? Yeah. At okay. my table.
He's just, yes, he's come through. Yeah. Uh, Patty Smith, Donald Trump, and then uh, maybe just to like temper everything, my mom. Nice. Because How would your mum get on with Paddy and Donald? I, I have no idea. She's a great person, but I just kind of feel like if all else fails, my, my, my mom's there, you know, so. That, that's gorgeous. I don't know. I, I love mean. that. That's unbelievable. Thank you so much anyway. <laughs> no, it's, it's cool. That's why, I ask these, that's why I ask the question. Yeah, what a strange uh, answer. Yeah, why did yeah. I say that? No, but it's cool. But it's cool. Listen, it's cool. Absolutely fine. Listen, thank you so much for taking time out. I feel like you've driven like halfway across the world to get across I did, Denver. It's, but it was great. It, I listen you know to every podcast. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Pick Over Transport, um, for obviously sponsoring this episode. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you. This has been Vishoki. Vishoki. The Blue Bear from Denver. If you ever come to Denver, go see the actual Blue Bear. This will be your view. This will be the view of his bum. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes and Spotify, thank you so much. If you're in Castle Rock, July 13th. The fray. Mm-hmm. Thank you again so much. Yeah, I mean, thank you, man. Jinkuya proshobadzo. Yeah, and also with you. <laughs> thank you. Perfect. <laughs> That's it. Sorry. <laughs> Done. Done and dusted. <laughs>